and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We have out on our wall a list of core values out here, and one is we're better together. Another one is that we're generous with our time, talent, treasure. Yes, yes, yes. We're generous with our time, talent, and treasure. And you know, these aren't just cute phrases that we like to put on our wall. We've put a lot of thought. We've prayerfully, thoughtfully considered these core values and their qualities that we've gleaned as we've observed the church in the New Testament of what made the church in the New Testament so successful. What did Jesus desire to see in his church? So we, as, we, as we went through the scriptures, we've put together our core values based on the scriptures. And here's what I know is the church should be one of the most generous places on earth. Um, This generosity should be weaved into everything that we do. And we see when we look at the New Testament church in Acts 2, we see that take place. But part of the reason I really believe that the people of God should be the most most generous people on earth is because we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe not in the physical, because I know some of y'all got a small house like me, but, but in the spirit, we are the richest people on earth. Amen. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we know. We got a rich daddy. Amen. Um, we do. We have, we have a father of unlimited resource and he provides every spiritual blessing to us in Christ Jesus. So we're liberated to give. We're liberated to live generous lives because Jesus has given us everything. We've received everything in Christ Jesus. So when we look at the New Testament church and we see that there are generous people, we shouldn't be surprised. Check this out. Acts 2 verse 44 says this. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. They were generous. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They were generous. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They're not only generous with their resource and with their things and with their treasure, they're generous with their time. They make time for one another. They spend time with one another. They prioritize community. They were generous. Verse 47, verse 47 says, uh, so, so, and they share their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. And I just really believe that the generosity of the people of God should be attractive to the world. And I'm not surprised that they were growing in numbers. And I think that the generosity of the community had a part to do with that. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we're generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure um, directly and sort of indirectly as well. I I think this generosity topic is a broad topic, and I'm uh, just looking forward to kind of pulling it apart a little bit and, and, uh, taking you guys through that. So one thing I want to say before we jump into this though, is there's times where I feel or where I sense, because I spend time with a lot of you been in some of your homes and, you know, gotten lunch or breakfast with you, not all of you, but a lot of you I spend time with. And sometimes there's moments where I'm preaching a message and I'm like, yeah, you know, my church and me, like we, we got to grow in this. And then there's other times where I'm like, man, 
this body has this figured out. And when I think about generosity and how it relates to us, I really believe it's something that this church is living out right now and it's living out well. And I don't know if maybe that's been your experience in this body, but I know for me personally, I don't know that I've ever been a part of a more generous community in all of my life. And I don't believe you just have to have lots of money to be generous. I think you can be generous with your time, talent, and treasure. And, and I just feel like in this community, um, people are, whether regardless of, of how much we may have individual to individual, this community is always willing to give what they got. And I think the Lord loves that. And I think the Lord blesses that too. So I just wanted to acknowledge you guys. <clears throat> I'm not berating you. I'm not doing a uh, generosity message because I feel like you need to be more generous. We always have room to grow, but I did want to celebrate with you guys that uh, it's a lot of fun to be a part of a generous community. Amen? All right. So, and, and, and here's the deal. You know, I already said it, but again, I just, I just want to capitalize. The people of Jesus, Jesus followers, we should be generous. We should be generous, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into this word. Father, we love you so much. And um, God, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to communicate your word. And I just pray that your spirit would prepare hearts, open hearts, and open mind to receive the truth of your word. Till the soil of our heart. So as we receive the seed of your word, it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to hear it. God, we want to live it out. We want to be transformed by your word. We want to be more like Jesus. So help us to uh, internalize this word and to be transformed by it. Um, Father, I pray that Destiny Church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it was either, either Thursday or Friday. I came into the building. I had my AirPods in. I was listening to a worship album. And, uh, you know, on, on a Thursday, sometimes I may be in the morning, I may be the only one in the building at that particular time. And because I'm the only one, I'll just be honest. Sometimes I help myself to the cafe. All right. Don't judge me. Y'all got your issues too. So I'm in, I come into the building. I unlock the door. I walk into the building. I walk over to cafe, make myself a cold brew. I did steal a little sugar-free vanilla as well. Um, and I'm just kind of, you know, putzing through the building. And, you know, I usually start the day off reading my Bible. I can't even really remember what I was what I was doing, but I'm listening to the music and I'm just uh, sometimes I'll check the trash cans and random little tasks just make sure, you know, things are kind of in order. So I'm just again, just sort of putzing through the building and I have my AirPods in that are playing music. And for those who don't know, they're just cordless headphones. So, you know, the you listening to music on here, but it's playing in my ears. This is for, you know, some of our wiser folk in the room, just catching y'all up to speed what AirPods are. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I have my AirPods in and I'm listening to this music. Then all of a sudden, when you get a phone call, because I'm playing music from my phone, when you get a phone call, it interrupts the music and your phone starts ringing in your ears. So my music gets interrupted and all of a sudden I hear that the alarm is blaring in the building. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been putzing around the building and the alarm's blasting off and I'm just in here. And the call that I was getting was the security company asking me if they wanted me to have police show up to the building. I'm like, no, there's just an idiot in there right now. We'll, we'll, get, it. I'll, we'll get him taken care of. <clears throat> so I give him the password and, and I shut it off and I was just laughing, thinking, oh my goodness, 
Isn't it, isn't it wild that there can be these alarms blasting off, but I'm just so distracted that I didn't even know that I didn't even hear it, you know? And so I like turned the alarm off and I was just kind of sitting there and thinking, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit just sort of nudged me in my heart with this question of, are you distracted? Are you distracted? Last week we went, we went to Montana, I mean, a couple of dudes and uh, spent the week and there's a a pastor from New Mexico who invites us on this trip. And part of what his church really believes in is pouring back into the leader. So every year he takes a handful of pastors, about 15 guys, pastors, leaders um, on this trip out to Montana, just to kind of pour back into them and to replenish them. And just a, it's a super generous thing that he does. And we really look forward to it every single year. And so we went out on the trip and <clears throat> The, the retreat place, it has a bunch of these guides. And I don't know if any of you guys remember, but the last time I was there, you go fly fishing every day, you're, you're on the river. I hooked one of the guides in the nose with a hook. Yeah, you do remember that. I told, I told, I told that story. That was the, the biggest thing I caught for sure. Um, <clears throat> but you know, we, we, we go on this trip. So he pays, he's like, man, if you can buy your plane ticket, I'll pay for everything else. So we go out and, and just have an absolute blast. And these guides know that all these pastors are there to just kind of, and so they, I think out of respect, they try not to ask like too deep a questions or anything like that, but they want, they want to serve you. Their whole mission, their whole goal is to serve you, to invest back in you. So it's just a really cool culture to be in for a couple of days. And, and they all do a really good job. And one of these specific guides that was in our boat, his name was Colton. And we were pretty similar in age. And he's like, he goes, Mark, I just want to ask you a question really quick. Um, <clears throat> he goes, you know, I'm just, I, 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 we were talking all day. I was with another pastor in my boat and we we're just talking about ministry and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, where you're at, he's like, I'm just really curious. Like, how did you get there? And so I just, you know, basically he's like, tell me your ministry journey. Tell me your ministry story. And it had been a while since I'd even kind of reflected on that story myself. And, and like, how did I get where I am? And just reflected on all that God has done. And as I told him, as I began to tell him the story and, and bring him through the different parts of the story, I just got to revisit some of those old feelings and emotions that have come on that whole you know, ministry journey, but even just the walk with the Lord and remembering how he showed up and remembering how I didn't feel good enough, but then looking at some of the things that he's allowed me to experience and all that. So I'm taking him through um, this ministry journey. And for me, my journey in ministry is very closely connected with my relationship with Jesus, because as a kid, I felt like Jesus was putting in my heart to be a preacher and a pastor. And I know I've shared this story with you guys, so I'm not going to harp on it for a long time here, but just, I knew like, uh, but I would be, I would be hot and cold, you know, like sometimes I was close with the Lord and then I kind of fall away and do my own thing. But it was like every time that I, that I got some intimacy with the Lord, that I pursued him and, and felt his nearness and grew in my sensitivity to his whisper. I just knew for me to fully submit to Jesus and for his 
his will for my life and the things he was calling me to do. I knew that that was preaching and pastoring, but I also didn't feel like, you know, I I was fit for that. I was good enough for that. I'm a little heathen. I don't even read my Bible half the time. How could I ever be a pastor? But feeling this paradox of, of feelings of like, oh, I feel like he wants me to do this, but I don't feel good enough to do that. And, you know, so there was this constant battle of I get close, but then I get scared and run away. And then I kind of get close and then get scared. So for me, when I finally made that decision to just submit to God, I'll do whatever you want to do. Uh, whatever your plan is, I want your plan for me. And I'm here and, and, and I'm all in. I knew part of me surrendering my life to Jesus was most likely me also then surrendering my life to the ministry because I, I just knew that was in, he was putting that in my heart to do. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and when it first started, y'all know, like, I, I've, again, I've shared this story a lot. I'm going down the stairs at OTC and it's just like, okay, God, I'll just, I'll just do it. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of that lack of confidence or belief, or those doubts or discouragement, I'll, I'll do it. And I remember when, when we first got started, I just got to this place where like, I'll just, okay, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus. If that's, what you, if that's what you want me to do, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus. And I started preaching to like three kids on a pew in this little country church in a little country town. And I just got to tell you, I was so content doing it. Just loved it. And you know, all I knew is that I love Jesus. I felt called to preach. I wanted to love these kids well. I knew what Christ had done in my life. I wanted them to help. I wanted to encourage them in their walk with the Lord and them to experience everything that God had for them. And I know God uses people and I wanted them to use me. And it didn't matter that my church was tiny, that the room was ugly, that the lighting was from 19, you know, 101. <laughs> like... You know, it's me in a room with a, with a couple of kids and I don't even really know what I'm doing. I'm just following Jesus and just trying to be faithful to what he's put in my heart to do. And um, it felt pure and it felt simple and almost weightless. Not that it wasn't sacrificial because I'm still a full-time student working full-time in a relationship with Abigail. So balancing all of that stuff, it was busy. It was sacrificial. It was a given my time. But, it, but in terms of the, the purity of my intention was just like, it was like, God, you've, you've asked me to do this and I want to do this. I, I want to do this. And you put this in my heart to do. And, and again, just content. But then as I was living some of that out, it's like, <clears throat> you know, the ministry started growing. Uh, more students started showing up. And then some of these kids have issues, some, some big, some small. Um, like one of my teens ends up getting pregnant. And, you know, both of them are in my youth group. I remember leaders starting to confide in me and, and starting to feel like I'm, okay, I'm not just pastoring kids anymore. I'm kind of pastoring my leaders. And then uh, parents are calling me and they want me to fix the issues with their kids, whether or not that's true. That's just what it kind of felt like sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix your kids. Like I'm just preaching Jesus, you know, I don't know what, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep myself together here. And then it was just like, I felt like this expectation started to develop and the ministry's growing and, um, you know, expectations are increasing. And then my pastor's talking about maybe me taking over the church 
And what started so pure and simple and seemingly weightless started just to become, in my mind, very complex and complicated. And it was what started of this, this give, this is what I want to do. It very easily turned into what everybody else, what I was doing and what everybody else wasn't doing. And it was never about that. But I I remember I started to get discouraged when some of my closest friends who challenged, encouraged me to step into the ministry, they never came and they never showed up and they never came to hear me preach. It just, you know, bothered you. I found myself frustrated that even though my Tuesday night services had twice as many people as our Sunday services, you know, my, my pastor, he wasn't investing in me as much as I would have liked. I found myself anxious, preparing messages, hoping they exceeded everyone's expectations and convinced people I was gifted enough and I was good enough to do this. But the reality was that I never started preaching so my friends would come listen to me preach. That was never what it was about. I I didn't want investment from the pastor as much as I just wanted human validation that I was good enough because God's affirmation in my life maybe wasn't enough for me in the moment. And the purity of my intentions and just communicating God's word and just wanting to help these kids see Jesus with greater knowledge and more clarity, the purity of my intentions and communicating God's word, it just started to kind of turn into this prideful performance. Amen. And to sum it all up, man, I just got distracted. And sometimes life just gets complex and it gets complicated and it's really easy for us to get distracted. You agree? Can you just say amen? So I'm not the only one just gets complex and distracted. And what started is simple and pure. It just, you know, the reason I even share some of this is because I feel like I'm in a room full of people that really love Jesus. And I think we really love people. And I think at one point we were joyfully generous and we gave of ourselves. We loved, we loved God and we wanted to help his people. And we were just, you know, excited about life. And uh, we were joyfully generous and we gave of ourselves. But then it's like life hits and it gets complicated and it gets complex and we get wounded and we walk through trials and we suffer offense. And then we deal with discouragement and maybe we've become guarded and offended and we're really not loving Jesus well or loving people well either. We're distracted. There's a story in Luke 10. I love it. Jesus is with all his disciples and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He walks through this town, Bethany, and there's a house with two ladies in it, two sisters in it. And um, yeah, let's just, let's just read it before I break down too much of it. It says it's Luke 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way into Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha. Who was it? It wasn't Mary. It was Martha welcomed him into her home. This is Martha's idea. Martha looks out, hey, Jesus, you and the boys, we got space. Come on. Yeah, you hungry? You boys hungry? I'll cook for you. Come on. So they set it up. She welcomes in. This is about what Mary had committed herself to do, what Mary or what Martha 
committed herself to do what Martha wanted to do. Martha invited them in. So check this out. Next verse, 39. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Whoa, Martha, this was your idea. Come on, Jesus. But look at Jesus' response. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. And I just read through this story, and I can just, to all my type A personalities in the room, which I am not, I can just... I could just imagine. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Yeah. I can just imagine how maybe Jesus is being gentle. He's definitely being firm, but also Jesus is being gentle. And here's Martha busting her butt trying to get dinner ready. And there's, you know, almost 15 people in the house to serve. And Mary, get in here. And Jesus just looks at her and says, Hey, and I can just imagine. Martha being like, oh, really, Jesus? I'm over here cooking dinner for you and all your boys. She's been out running around with the boys. She's always with the boys. She's always trying to get out of work. Jesus, you haven't been here. Listen, I know y'all want to sit around and chat. Someone's got to make the food, Jesus. And Mary, she always does this. She's always hanging out with the boys, always has energy for the boys, but doesn't have energy to cook, Jesus. She knows she's supposed to be helping me. Martha's like, I still got mashed potatoes and carrots to peel. Who's going to do that, Jesus? You know, I can see it. I can see it. Martha's flustered. Got an apron on, right? She's covered with ingredients. She's sweaty. Feeling like she's in the right proud of her own effort. Look what I'm doing, Jesus. Look what they're not doing, Jesus. Proud of her own effort, entitled to demand Mary's assistance, entitled to demand a response from her sister. I think Martha's forgotten something though. Martha, it wasn't Mary who invited all the people in. It was your idea. Verse 38 says where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Not Martha and Mary. Martha, this was your idea. And I just wonder if Martha's story is anything like my story in the sense where she joyfully, generously opened up her home, had to say, yeah, I just want to, this is so fun. Yeah, come eat. You know, this will be. And, and, and you know, as Jesus and his guests, as, as, as they fill up her home, perfectly content to just hang grateful just to be in her home, enjoying the conversation 
Martha starts, starts to panic, look, looking around at how, ma- how many people are in the house, thinking, do, do I have enough food? Is everybody comfortable? Mary, Mary! And Jesus is like, relax. Jesus says, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all the details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken away from her. Now, as I study this passage and as I study passages every week, I love to look and read at what different commentaries say about different pieces of scripture. And sometimes it's almost comical because, you know, each each commentary, sometimes they just kind of have their own flavor on what they believe the text to be saying. You know, nothing crazy, but it's just like sometimes it just makes me laugh that there can be some differences in their interpretation or what they felt like Jesus really meant or what was really being communicated. And like one of the commentaries I read, this is word for word. He may have been implying when Jesus reprimands, gently rebukes Martha, because because here's the deal. It's a little confusing because we know as Jesus followers, we're called to serve. And to like make dinner is not a sinful thing. To want help from people is not a sinful thing. And Jesus is like, no, this is the one thing. It's like, okay, Jesus, but if we just all sit around, we all going to starve and we going to die. Okay, we got to eat it sometime. We can't just sit around and talk all day, Jesus, right? We need water. We need food. Um, right. And that's like, so it's not like Martha's necessarily doing something sinful. So why is Jesus saying, no, this is, this is the one thing that matters and what's implied. So one, one of the commentaries is like, he may talking about Jesus. He may have been implying that Martha was busy trying to provide an elaborate supper when a simple meal would have sufficed. Like, okay. Um, and then it goes on to say the story is not meant to teach the value of a contemplative life compared with a life of action, but to show that service to Jesus must not fill people's lives to such an extent that they have no time to learn from him. So again, okay, good, good thoughts. These thoughts are fine. Um, but I also just, you know, I just kind of observed the story and I felt like as I looked at some of the commentaries that differed and just, reading often what Jesus says and and the way he interacts with people. I just had some of my own thoughts about the story. Maybe I took some interpretive liberties a little bit, so forgive me if if I've done that. But, you know, because, again, I don't think Jesus is mad that Martha's cooking and preparing and serving instead of sitting and listening. I think Jesus is perfectly fine with Martha cooking food and serving them. I don't think Martha's physical actions were what Jesus was rebuking. I think maybe, just maybe, um, Jesus is rebuking the impurity of Martha's intentions. The impurity of Martha's intentions. Like, I wonder if Martha welcoming Jesus in, it started as an act of generosity then it became distorted with the pressure to perform. And and in that, in the complexity of the dinner, of the night, of the hosting and the challenges, it very quickly became not about what Martha was doing, but what about, about, you know, there's that, "Look look at what I'm doing. And it becomes about what others are not doing in return. So we see Martha attacking Mary in some way, telling on Mary in some way. And (laughs) 
sometimes life it can, you know, I, I wonder if there's, if there's moments in our life where they start as an act of generosity, but they become distorted over time. Um, and it, and it becomes about what others aren't doing rather than what you're doing. And, and a simple example is, you know, when you told your neighbors, yeah, if you guys go, you need someone to watch the dogs, just let me know. Yeah, not a big deal. So they lean into you and they let you watch the dogs when they go on vacation. You've done it three times this year and they never leave the gift card and you're and you're frustrated about it. You offered to watch the dogs, you know. You know, you started to serve in church because you love Jesus and you love people. But then you're frustrated because leadership doesn't acknowledge your effort enough. I just wonder sometimes if what begins as an act of generosity through complexity, complications, through distractions, begins to what was once an act of generosity uh, becomes an act with an expectation attached to it of what you can or what you're not receiving in return. And when we act with intentions to receive rather than give, um, that's when we lose the genuinity. That's not a word, is it? Is it a word? I don't know. We'll pretend it is. The genuineness of our generosity. When there is an attachment, you know, when, when there's acts attached with an expectation to receive, I think that's when we begin to move out of that generous circle. And we've been called to be generous. And, and we serve a God who is generous, right? I love how Paul kind of breaks some of this down. Paul, um, one of the most effective missionaries the world has ever seen, says this. Um, he says, I've never coveted anyone's silver, gold, or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. Like, I, I work. And honestly, I didn't rely on other people to, to give me those. Like, I just, I worked. I provided for my own needs. And guess what? Sometimes I provided for the needs of others. Right? He goes, and I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. So you should remember the words of who? Jesus. It's Jesus who said this. Right? You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And sometimes I think we understand that as believers. We understand that it's about giving and we start with there's purity in our heart in, in giving. And then it becomes about what we're not receiving and it spoils our generosity. So <clears throat> point number one from, from the whole message, if we're really interested in being genuinely generous, if we're interested in being genuinely generous, stop focusing on what you're not receiving rather than what you're providing. Okay? But here's what I felt like the Spirit revealed to me. Kim, you can come if you wouldn't mind. I've read this passage so many times, and I love this story. I've preached on this story probably like three or four times. But for this week, as I was reading through it, I felt like the Lord, the, the Spirit kind of dropped something in my heart of what's illustrated in the story that maybe I haven't so much noticed before. And I think that part of the story or some of what we see in the story is a glimpse, is an illustration of life in the spirit versus life under the law. Um, 
Paul wrote this in Romans. I've been reading Romans on my own personal time, and it's been such a good reminder for me that this salvation thing, that being made right with God is not based on what I can do, that it's Jesus's work and not my work. And if you're anything like me, it's really easy to feel like I got to perform well enough, like Ryan talked about in his ministry moment, that if I do a good enough job, then Jesus will love me and I will get that check of approval. And so I, 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 am, I, am I doing a good enough job? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I sending enough people, enough messages and checking on and phone calls? And did I go get lunch with enough people and, and, and these interactions? And before you know it, I think not an Old Testament law, like it's not like we're sacrificing billy goats in our backyard, but sometimes I think we create this modern day law that we, that we say we gotta fulfill and then we get discouraged when we don't fulfill it. Like I, I think we end up, whether we acknowledge it or not, we begin living under the law that we've just kind of created ourselves that consists of read your Bible for 45 minutes a day and then you got to pray on your way to work. And if you showered and you didn't pray in the shower, you got to shower again because we said that was going to be the time that we prayed and whatever. I don't know. Like, And we think if we do all these things right, then I will be the good Christian. God will, God will love me and I'll, I'll get my approval. And I've just been reading through Romans and it just removes that weight of performance and just liberates you to just live a life in response to what you've already received. It says this in Romans 10. Uh, Paul's talking to the group of the Jewish people. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. So they're passionate. Yeah, they're, they're fired up, but it's misdirected zeal. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. If I make all the right sacrifices, if I go to the temple, if I wash at these times and, and don't interact with this type of people and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, listen, it's, it's, it's not obedience to the law that's going to make you right with God. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Jesus, all who believe in Jesus, not all who perform, not all who pray three times a day, not all who fast every January when the new year starts, all who believe in Jesus, that Christ is sufficient that faith in Christ covers my sin, grants me eternity with my Father forever, with God forever. Those who believe, I know it doesn't feel natural because it's supernatural. I know it doesn't feel natural. It's spiritual blessing. And it feels unnatural because it feels like, how could we receive something so good without earning it? I don't know. We just got a gracious, generous God who says when you put faith in Jesus, everything changes. A little bit earlier in Romans, I just, I just feel like, you know, same kind of thought, but I feel like it clarifies it a little more. It says this, verse 8, first couple of verses. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. When you put faith in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, it's freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Praise God. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And what Paul is reminding us is the law was put in place on purpose. 
The law is holy and it's good. The law is the standard of perfection. It is all those things. But if you think the purpose of the law was for you to fulfill it, you're wrong. You're missing it. The law was the standard of perfection. There was only one man who could fulfill it. The law points to our need for grace. The law points to our need for Christ. It is a constant reminder that you're broken. It's a mirror that we can look in and say, no, I need, I need, I I need this fixed. This is wrong. The law, it points us to Jesus. There was only one man who could satisfy all the requirements perfectly and never break it. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Like, I don't know if y'all figured it out or not yet, but you've fallen short of the glory of God. My wife's pretty close, though. (laughs) We believe that. Amen. It's a lie. (laughs) All right, let's carry on before I get in trouble. So check this out. So God did what the law could not do. God did what the law could not do. Okay, this is so good. This is so encouraging. This is the God we serve. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we have as sinners. God's like, they can't fulfill the law. They, 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 they in, their, in their nature, cannot be the standard for which is required to exist in heaven. They can't achieve that on their own. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll send myself to achieve that for them in place of them. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we have as sinners. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So as Christ died on the cross, he took on the sin of the world. And when we place our faith in him, it covers our sin and it covers our shame and it covers our weakness and it covers our our shortcomings and it covers how we've fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't know, there's something about that thought that just causes a response to come up out of me. Amen? In that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice. In verse four, this this verse, it just stuck out to me. I don't know, I was just reading through my Bible in my office and as I read this verse, I was just like, wow, it's just, it's just beautiful. This considering that there's this whole law that needs to be fulfilled. It says he did this, sent Jesus. He did this so that the just requirement of the law wouldn't just be partially, would be fully satisfied for us who no longer live our sinful nature, instead follow the spirit. It's so beautiful that Jesus came and fully satisfied the law. Jesus, all it required, fully satisfied. And we get to partner with that guy. We get to put faith in that guy. That gets that gets to be the guy who testifies for us. No, 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 they're good. I, their work, I did it. It's covered, you know? Wow, just that, that, that the full requirement is, has been fully satisfied. Christ satisfies the law for us. And what's amazing and so encouraging about this, and I know this is basic Bibles 101, but sometimes it's just good to reflect on it and talk about it a little bit. Amen. Matter of fact, maybe we should every week. I don't know. But just just this, that while we were still sinners, and I'm just grateful that Jesus isn't like Martha, where he says, look, look at all that I've done. You know, like, now what can you do for me? 
Now, now what can you do for me? God is generous and he loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die for us. He says, man, I accomplish all the work. You can't accomplish the work, but I will accomplish it for you. All that's required is faith in me. Faith in me. So I guess if I just had to kind of paraphrase the message and, and sum it up, is I think sometimes we forget that we have a God that is freely given to us, a God that's been so generous to us. And I think sometimes we can get into this place of feeling entitled or we get wounded by life and, and, and we don't we, and we want to withhold and we become uh, offended, wounded givers. And listen, Christ has done everything for us. Christ is going to supply us everything we need. And like we we're as as Jesus follower, followers, man, we're liberated to give. We're, we're liberated to live generous because we serve a generous God. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.